This is the Bird Hugger Podcast with Katherine Greenleaf, the podcast for people who love birds. Welcome to the Bird Hugger Podcast. I'm Katherine Greenleaf, and I'm so glad to be with you. I'm on board for a full 30 minutes of talking all things birds and restoring native habitat. What happens when a burnt-out college professor living in New England decides to become a wildlife rescuer and rehabilitator? Find out on Bird Hugger, the podcast for people who love birds. Join host Katherine Greenleaf, who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years, and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds. Hello there. I hope you're all doing well. I'm wondering what you're planting right now. I no sooner planted three trays of native flowers when three more trays arrived. These new trays contain New Jersey tea, Blazing Star, and Hairy Beard Tongue, otherwise known as Penstemon. I also received trays of blue-stemmed goldenrod and zigzag goldenrod, both of which prefer shade. Now that's a switch for a goldenrod species. I also received heart-leaved aster, another plant that lacks shade. Again, quite a contrast to most asters, which normally thrive in the sun. But I have a lot of shady areas that need natives, and these plants will fit the bill quite nicely. I think we've got a great show for you today. Today we'll be talking to Marie Chiapo, author of an important piece of research about the dilemma regarding unrecyclable plastic pots faced by the U.S. horticultural industry. And now for some exciting news. Biologists with the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service are confirming that the two oldest common loons in the world are right here in the United States. And not only that, are you ready for a shocker? They are a mated pair. The two loons, regular summer residents of the Sini National Wildlife Refuge in Michigan, were just spotted recently by wildlife officials and are embarking upon their 25th year of mating and rearing baby loon chicks. The male, ABJ, was banded as a chick in June of 1987, meaning he has just turned 34 years old. And Faye, the female, will be turning at least 35 this season. ABJ and Faye have raised 32 chicks together over a record 25 consecutive years. They even became grandparents in 2007. Wildlife experts are crediting the pair's unprecedented success to excellent parenting skills and the safety of the protected and pristine wildlife habitat of the Sini Preserve, an area of 25,000 acres that is undisturbed by humans. The deaths of numerous songbirds are being reported in the D.C. area, and wildlife experts suspect some farmers and homeowners are using toxic pesticides in an attempt to ward off cicadas. In the last several weeks, people in the Washington, D.C. area have been reporting increasing numbers of sick, blind, injured, and dead songbirds. And in the last several days, reports have also come in from wildlife rehabilitators in southwest Ohio and northern Kentucky. Much has been made in the media of late about the periodical cicada, a winged insect that emerges from the ground every 13 to 17 years. While they may be a bit noisy, they are actually beneficial insects, according to wildlife biologists. They are a vital food source for wildlife, especially birds. And pesticides sprayed to kill cicadas can end up poisoning and killing untold numbers of birds. Wildlife experts are saying the affected birds are showing symptoms of neurotoxin exposure. 
similar to the kind used in several commercially available pesticides. Symptoms include blindness, staggering, the inability to fly, and seizuring before death occurs. Cicadas live very short lives, and most will be eaten by wildlife or dead by mid-July, according to state entomologists. State wildlife officials in Maryland and Virginia say an investigation into the cause is ongoing, and wildlife rehabilitators and animal rescue leagues are urging homeowners to forego the use of pesticides. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings. And now I'd like to introduce Marie Chiepo, a renowned native garden designer who runs Eco Plant Plans, LLC, out of Needham, Massachusetts. Not only is she a talented native garden designer, she is also an experienced researcher. She recently took on the enormous task of researching the manufacture and use of non-recyclable plastic gardening containers. And her report, Plastic Pots and the Green Industry, is making waves throughout gardening circles all over the U.S. Sponsored by the Association of Professional Landscape Designers, her report details the dilemma the U.S. horticultural industry is now facing as more and more avenues for plastic recycling disappear, resulting in billions of gardening containers clogging our nation's landfills. A true ecological crisis. Marie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Well, it's great to have you here. So tell me about this report, Plastic Pots in the Green Industry. Now, as I understand it, you are the researcher and the author of the report, correct? Yes, I am. Okay. I am. Now, how did this whole report come about? So the Association of Professional Landscape Designers, which is an international organization of landscape designers, has a sustainability committee. And members of the committee had been in touch with an individual at the Missouri Botanical Gardens who was key in putting together a program called Pots for Planks, which is a recycling program where consumers can bring in their pots. And at the time, they were taking people's pots, cleaning them, regrinding them, and turning them into planks. So they were actually manufacturing a product out of people's plastic pots. So the Sustainability Committee caught wind of this. And after speaking with the woman's name is Jean Ponzi, she is running it currently, decided that this was something that we really needed to delve into. Missouri Botanical Garden, thanks to them, saw that plastic plant pots being a single-use product typically pose an environmental problem. And our sustainability committee decided that we needed to look into this further. That's great. So could you tell me about the sustainability committee of the Association of Professional Landscape Designers? Where are they headquartered and uh, what role did they play? The headquarters is actually in, in Pennsylvania, but the committee itself is all around the country and and Canada. So we're all designers who care very much about the environment. Not that the others don't, but we're just a committee that researches and writes about issues regarding sustainability. And 
ways that we can work with our clients and with gardens in general on how to do things in a healthier, more sustainable way. Tell me now on a personal level, what what was it that got you involved in researching and writing this report? Well, I have a research background. I used to work at the New England Journal of Medicine in my prior life and my first first part of my life doing research for the editor-in-chief. And I love delving into issues. I've written quite a bit for other organizations on a number of topics, so I love writing. It was a combination of the passion that I have for a healthy environment plus the skills that I brought to the table. Are you also a gardener? I'm a landscape designer and a horticulturalist, and I get dirty quite a bit. So <laughs> I get paid to play, as I say. That's the best part of gardening, getting dirty. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and I focus on native plants and on and doing things in an ecologically friendly way. So that's, that's my great. focus. Now, I have yeah. to say this report that you put together is alarming. Can you tell me how many petroleum-based plastic pots are manufactured every year? Billions. 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 Wow. Worldwide. Yes. And uh, Uh, how many are actually recycled? Well, I know the recycling rate for plastic in the United States on average is 8.5%. And that has not changed for quite a period of time. So plastic overall as a product, as a material, is rarely, rarely recycled. So it's for the most part, the bottles, things that people typically think of as as getting recycled. One distinction I like to make is that items can have the stamp on the bottom indicating that it's recyclable, but it it doesn't necessarily mean that it's recycled. So it's a huge problem that we have here. Yes. And from your report, If I understand correctly, the uh, recycling market for plastic has kind of collapsed. It collapsed. Back in 2017, when China banned us from exporting a lot of our, the majority of our plastic, mixed plastics to them, we were stuck with 25 years worth of material that we didn't know what to do with. We just didn't. As a matter of fact, material that was re- that was manufactured, I would say about ten years ago, is still pretty much somewhere on the planet. I mean, it just does not, as a, as a general rule, does not get recycled. It gets it gets tossed. So the plastics industry itself is it's a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge to get plastic by itself recycled, leave alone plastic pots. They pose their own issues. Yeah. I have to tell you as a native gardener, it's always a shock for me when I order uh, my native seedlings by mail order and I get this big box and I open it up and here are these native plants designed Mm -hmm. to help the environment sitting in a a plastic container, you know, with the 38 little openings in it. It just is so counterintuitive, you know, to be trying to help the ecosystem by planting native, and yet these plants are arriving in these one-time use plastic containers that no one can do anything with. It's a little disheartening. Oh, absolutely. And and, and the, the, the fact that I do what I do 
as I said, as organically and, and as environmentally responsible as I do, I go through an average of, I would say about 400 pots per season. And as you said, we're, we're trying to do things in a, in a sustainable, environmentally healthy way. And here we are posing this product to, to our, to our clients, which is, which is counter to the soil that we're trying to create and putting in the, the plants that are going to be great for pollinators and carbon sequestration. And it really is, it is counterintuitive. And that is one thing that really struck me when I first started doing this paper was really, I have always thought that by taking my pots and bringing them to the nursery that I purchased them from, or by bringing them to my recycling facility, thinking I was putting them in a place where I figured someone's going to handle these. I'm not doing anything that's harmful to the environment by doing this. The realization that once I followed the trail of what we think happens to these plastic pots and what really does not happen, was an eye-opener, to say the least. And I just kept digging. Right. So there is this sort of mythology, you know, there's this feel-good aspect to bringing your recycling to the local transfer station or recycling Mm -hmm. center. You drop Mm -hmm. it off and you think, oh, good, you know, I did my good deed for the day. But in fact, the stuff is just piling up everywhere. So uh, let's get into that for a second. Can, tell me, what are the negative ecological effects from the accumulation of these one-time-use gardening pots? Well, plastic, having the molecular makeup that it does, takes a very, very long time to break down. It takes up, to, it, it, depending on obviously the size and the plastic itself, it can take hundreds of years for it to break down. Once they do break down, they leach chemicals into the soil and ultimately into the water table. There's also the issue of the recycling or the manufacturing itself with the emissions that it creates, the fossil fuels that are being used to manufacture them as opposed to, so using virgin plastic, which is you know used from the fossil fuels versus recycled plastic is ecologically not, sound at all. So on, you know, whether it's from the manufacturing to the use to the disposal, there are issues across the entire lifeline of that product that are not good to be for the environment. Right. So now what are some of the roadblocks to recycling the plastic that's being used today? I would think contamination would be one issue, right? Yes. So cross-contamination is something that I never thought of before this, but plastics need to be clean in order for them to be put through the recycling machinery. And they also need to be sorted by type of plastic. Getting back to the pot specifically, it's a huge hurdle for people in the nursery industry to collect, decontaminate or clean and sort the pots by plastic type. It's cost prohibitive a lot of times for people who own the nurseries and the installers for everyone across the board in the green industry to handle these. And also there aren't that many facilities that will take them. 
So we have an inadequate number of recycling facilities in this country, which we learned after China stopped taking our plastics that we really cannot handle it at all. So there's no sourcing, there's no place to have them go to where they will be recycled. Right. And I imagine also pesticide contamination, pesticides have leached into the plastic of a plant that was in sitting in it beforehand, that Absolutely. pesticide can get passed along to the, uh, the new owner of the recycled pot. Well, yes. And also you need to clean them to a certain extent in order to be able to remove them of those pesticides and those chemicals. It can be a bit more complicated than just soap and water. So imagine dealing with hundreds of pots from, I'm just thinking of an example, from a week worth of work for me, uh, having to clean them out appropriately, try to figure out what type of plastic it is. Because oftentimes, especially the black plastic pots, which are the biggest, I guess, problem maker, if you will, in, in all of this, because they are made of mixed resins. So it's not as though you can put them in with one type of plastic and, you know, say, okay, send it on that belt or put it in with this type of plastic and say, send it along on that belt because they don't necessarily melt at any particular temperature. So if I can just get into the materials piece a little bit, each plastic melts at different temperatures. And I think this is where there's a lot of misunderstanding and just lack of education, lack of knowledge. I certainly had no idea, as I said before, that this is what happens. So, you know, the number fives, the number sixes, the number sevens, the number twos, everything is made of a different type of plastic and melts at different temperatures. The black plastic pots are made up of, it could be anything, could be any type of commingled plastic. And the recycling facilities, the, the optic readers typically cannot read the pigment. So nine times out of 10, they're just tossed. I've seen it. I've seen it in facilities where they see that material coming down the conveyor belt and immediately goes into a large container. And disposed of. Right. And I also just wanted to add that often I will buy four packs and six packs of flowers mm -hmm. and they're in the extremely cheap plastic. It's, you can hear it. It makes a crinkly sound, you know? Yes. It's yes. not solid at all. And yeah. sometimes I have to rip open the sides of those six packs and four packs to extract the plant without harming the root system. Right. And then it's a total, you know, I can't, reuse it for anything at that point. No. And it's certainly not a candidate for recycling. It is a true problem. It really is. So, and, you know, with, with APTLD, what we're, what we're advocating is obviously as much as possible for people to, on a smaller scale. So for your average consumer to, as you said, it's a flimsy material. You really can't reuse that. But if there are pots that you can reuse, by all means do. So we're trying to, from the designer to the consumer, educate people that they can be reused if, if we can get enough people in agreement that they're willing to reuse them. So, and that's, that's really where it starts from the grower, correct? The grower is the one who initially puts that plant into the pot. And if we can convince growers 
of either reusing or finding alternative materials, which we are doing, I think we have a much better chance of seeing positive changes. But right. it's it's a steep it's a steep mountain. It certainly is. Now, I was just going to say, you know, in the 1920s and 30s, if you were a homeowner and you loved gardens and gardening, you had to grow it from seed. You had to yes. talk to a neighbor and say, hey, I like that plant. Can you, right. can I take a few seeds or a cutting or can I, you know, try, a, you know, a little root hormone on that leaf and see if I can get right. it to grow mm-hmm. and then enter the beginnings of the gardening industry, which kind of took off in the late 40s and into the 50s and 60s. Yes. Suddenly everything is automated as much as possible. And, uh, you know, one of the, you know, beneficial, I use the word, you know, regrettably, beneficial features of these plastic pots is they are so cheap to produce. Yes. And they're flexible. They're lightweight. They're easy to transport. Back in the I would say it was the late 70s, early 80s when they really started to use, I remember my mother having geraniums for Memorial Day in plastic containers. That's when it really began to take off. And since then, everything defaults to plastic in the nursery industry. Well, 99% defaults to plastic in the nursery industry. So yes, I mean, it, it truly revolutionized the horticultural industry and made it what it is today. You can order these plants from wherever. And, you know, it's the consumer's dream to be able to get what they want, but it's an environmental nightmare (laughs) trying to deal with it once you have it. Right. Yeah. So basically by uh, just getting more into the psychology of the whole thing, by eliminating the need to have to sow your own seeds, Mm-hmm. The ease and convenience of just being able to go to the garden center and buy starts, yes. uh, starter plants, falls into that category of instant gratification. And once people get looped into that cycle, it's very, it's like an addiction. It's very hard to break, Yes, go back to what we would call the old-fashioned way of growing your own seeds. You know, growing your own seeds, there is the chance that you'll have some amount of failure. You're guaranteed pretty much not 100% success, but pretty close to it by buying these starts at the garden center. So I think we're kind of all hopelessly addicted to plastic. Well, I'll tell you, it's, well, we're addicted to plastic in in so many parts of our lives because that's what, what is presented to us. I mean, plastic is basically in everything we have now, pretty much. But as a designer, I find one of the biggest challenges is convincing people that they don't have to have the biggest of something in order for it to work. So for example, plugs that you can buy multiples of in boxes that are delivered to you, you know, in cardboard boxes that you can use on your property or using a smaller plant so that you don't need as large a container, you know, to to put the material in. But people do want instant gratification. They want the flowers yesterday. (laughs) They want the blooms yesterday. So yes, I mean, there's no question that we are in a time of absolute instant gratification. And the expectation of having to wait for something to grow in order for it to literally come to fruition is not where people's minds are unfortunately. So 
it's a message that needs to, and I appreciate you interviewing me for many reasons, but one being that the more we can educate people about being mindful of what we're doing, every step we take, especially with the garden, is makes a difference. It makes a difference. So Right, it certainly does. So, so I just have to ask, what did gardening centers do in the 50s and 60s before the plastic mania kind of took over? They didn't have as many plants. They didn't have as many options. Like this, like the grocery store now, you didn't have 50 types of cereal like you do, you know, when you go shop grocery shopping. You had plants that were more local, that were grown from a local farmer. Things were likely, you know, delivered in burlap or wrapped in newspaper. Back even further, back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, it was not uncommon for bare-rooted plants to be transported with wetted newspaper with some kind of covering to it to protect the roots during transportation. But again, you couldn't get exactly what you wanted or as many as you wanted because it was too much of a risk to take to get exactly what you want from somebody where in transport, it could easily fall apart. And if it's okay for me to take a little segue along those lines, that has been a huge issue for the adoption of alternative pots. On the individual consumer level, we have cow pots, we have a lot of compostable biodegradable pots on the market. Unfortunately, they're not used as often as I would like to see, but they're there. The problem that we're having as designers on the large scale front is that a lot of those pots don't do well from plant point A to point B. They lose their durability and they fall apart. And so growers have been extremely reluctant to adopt using alternative types of pots. We're beginning to see a change. So there are options out there now that we're tracking down for designers to start using more and more of from, let's say, manufacturer A, who has a pot that is fiber-based. And the more demand that, that we create as designers, the more supply we will find. And then it will trickle down, you know, obviously to the consumer, because I feel a lot better showing up to someone's yard, as you said, with these native plants in a fiber-based pot that I know I'm not going to end up putting in my truck and throwing away someplace rather than a fiber-based pot that will decompose. And some types of pots will take longer to decompose than others, but it's made of natural material. So they will decompose. Some need to be industrially composed. So, you know, there's, there's a, there's, there's, you get something, but you have to pay pay a little price for something too. But to me, it's worth it to have these pots that are fiber-based that may need to be industrially composted, but at least it's not going to be leaching out the petroleum and the, and the chemicals the way that a regular pot would. Right, exactly. Now, can we talk about that a little bit? In your report, you mentioned different alternatives like peat or cornstarch or cow manure. You also mentioned wood pulp, bamboo, and rice hulls, mm-hmm. and uh, pol- poultry feathers, chicken feathers. 
How do you make a pot out of chicken feathers? Basically, chicken feathers, it's, it's not just strictly chicken feathers because that wouldn't hold anything, but it's it's made with, uh, it's almost like a, a, a mush, a material that that hardens, fiber materials that harden with the, with the feathers that, you know, you can create a pot out of. But hemp is another one. Hemp is another material that's up and coming that manufacturers are really looking into and interested in in using. So it's out there. It's out there. Now tell me, what can gardeners do at home to help this situation? Are there any tips you can offer? Would I imagine one of them would be, I mean, is it, will garden centers let you pop a plant out of a pot for reuse and Take, you could take it home in wet newspaper or, or are they pretty much set against that type? Oh, of- I wish. So a garden center won't because think about where they purchase their material from. So you let's say you go to a garden center, you'll find different brands like proven winners. The marketing people behind these plants want you to identify their plants they don't want you to leave the pot behind. They want you to take it home so that you look at this and say, oh, I bought this from so-and-so. What a great plant. I'm going to go back and get more with that container, with that label on that container. So from a marketing perspective for the manufacturers and for the nursery people, they want you to take that pot. They don't want you to leave it behind. So in terms of what consumers can do, As I said, we're working hard to have it be that the demand for alternative pots across the United States is going to be adopted more and more. So as that happens, it is going to hopefully, in a relatively short period of time, consumers are going to go to the nursery and they are are going to find these pots made out of biodegradable material. So that's one. So we, we can hope for that. And as I said, there are there are materials out there already that people can purchase plants for small use that are made out of cow pods, that are made out of peat, that are made out of, you know, so I would I would suggest to people look for those vendors, look for those companies that are selling plants in those pots. They do exist. The other is say to the nursery, is, is there a chance at some point in the future that we can, I would really prefer to have my pots not in a plastic container. Do you think you might be interested in looking into sourcing plants that are delivered in biodegradable pots as opposed to plastic? So on that front, it's the consumer communicating with the vendor saying, look, this is important to me. And the word spreading to other consumers, this is important to me. We really want to start seeing a change in the types of pots that we're purchasing our plants in. Other is advocate for a nursery to take back your pots and reuse them as much as they possibly can, rather than piling them up and waiting for somebody to pick them up for the most part only to then have them be disposed in the landfill because 98% of them currently are just dumped into landfills and reuse your own a lot of you know garden clubs have sales i know a lot of those people are great about 
reusing their pots, you know, or selling them to a friend or, or a person who's purchasing from the garden club, something that was used from somebody else and just spread the word, say, let's try to reuse these as much as we possibly can. So to sort of start on the local level and, and grow, you know, that's, that's the best thing on the consumer front right now that we can do. That's great. I was just going to say our, our local gardening club in town, what they do is they urge people when they go out to divide their plants in the spring, bring their old plastic pots out, divide their perennials, plop them into each of those used plastic pots. And then yes. they get sold at a, we have a, a flea market once a month mm-hmm. on the, on the co- town common. <laughs> and Fantastic. these plants get sold to benefit the uh, gardening club, which does some beautiful, you know, flower displays throughout town. Yes, so, absolutely. absolutely. So that's another way. Yeah. And for my end, I'm just in the process of moving. I'm moving hundreds of plants from my former residence to my new residence. And all the pots that I've been using for clients, I'm cleaning out and using to transplant my plants, you know, from, from one town to here. So And if people in my town want pots for whatever reason, I have no problem even putting in the classifieds. I have extra pots. Does anybody need them for whatever project you're working on? So absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot to be said for reuse. There's a lot to be said for reduce too. And that's where we're working with manufacturers in reducing the manufacturing of them in the first place to see if we can start from that point and reduce the numbers from both ends because recycle is not an option. Right. Now I had a question for you. This is a total non sequitur, but as a gardening consultant and and design person, do you find you just mentioned moving your plants because you moved to a new uh, home. Do you Mm -hmm. find a lot of your clients do the same thing? Do they dig up, their favorite plants and take them with them from to their new home when they move? I would say probably hmm, 30% do. Oh, okay. 30% do. Yeah. Does that include yeah. native plants? That includes, I mean, wh- whatever plants they, they love, you know, that, that, that they want to use, you know, absolutely. But the, the majority want to start fresh and that's oftentimes where I come in where they don't have anything. It's a landscape that they don't like, or that's, you know, a new build and they need new material. And that's where the, unfortunately, you know, the, the, the need for me to go and purchase plants and plastic pots <laughs> comes into play. Okay. So, well, I may be contacting you in the future to do another show about how to successfully move your plants to a new home. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh my gosh. As a matter of fact, right now I am digging in grass because oh. I'm trying to reduce my lawn. Um, <laughs> and I can't find anyone to help me to take oh. up. The lawn, so I'm just right. digging holes. Yeah. A lot of us are trying to reduce our lawns. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which is great. Yes. So let yes. me ask you before we wrap up here, is there anything else you'd like to say about the situation? There's hope. There is hope. And we are determined as an organization and as individual designers to take this issue and just spread the word, whether it's it has to happen just amongst designers who then educate the consumers. But 
the key thing is for us to start reducing the amount of pots that are manufactured in the first place. And if we can do that, the nursery industry is not going to want to stop producing plants. <laughs> so they're going to start needing to find alternatives and we'll, we're going to get there. It's going to take a little while, but I really, I see the demand and I, people are much more aware than before about doing things sustainably and that are healthy for the environment. I was just going to throw in, um, I think it's important for the gardener to understand that when they go to a nursery center to buy a plant, Mm -hmm. that plant was grown by a grower who competes with other growers to get a good distributor. The distributor handles the shipping. That's why, you you know, if you go to a garden center early in the morning, you'll see these huge 18 wheeler trucks unloading just reams and reams of six packs and four packs from across the country. So when you buy that, you're buying into that entire process. And Absolutely. That, whole, that whole process would have to be approached. I mean, what shipper do I know that would be willing to, right. to take loss? Because anything other than plastic, and of course, this involves their insurance companies too. They, get, they declare you know, loss through transit or transport. You know, any plants that Absolutely. fall over and, Absolutely. you know, because they're not in plastic. I mean, it's just... A huge imbroglio. Yes. So, and the emissions that are produced getting the plants right. to the other location. I, I I use I use wholesale nurseries and I drive in there and I just see rows and rows and rows of of, of pots. Unfortunately, that's what I see first right now. <laughs> right. <laughs> My right. brain has been tainted a bit. I hear you on that one. But I also but, think it's why more and more people are yes. turning to local native plant people. There are quite a number of them starting so. up in New England. You know, we've got several here that are yes. new and they're doing quite well. And they're very open to the idea of giving you the seedlings in damp newspaper and, and that kind of thing. So right. I, I think the conventional right. horticultural system better be careful <laughs> because yeah. people are coming right behind them if they don't switch over to yes. more uh, ecological processes, they're going to lose money. Right. Right. Well, I have to tell you that I designed and installed a native plant garden in Needham, Mass for the town a couple of years ago. And I was there just the other day planting up more material with, with the crew there. And they stuck all the pots in the back of my car because at least I'll know where they go. But we put beautiful natives in because I want to spread the word that this is what native plants can do. But also here I am with my plastic pot. Someday yeah. we'll, we'll see that change. And I think you're right. What you said a bit earlier about once the consumer starts speaking directly to the garden center and voicing their concern and their dismay over the out of control use of plastic and it hurts their pocketbook, then maybe they'll start thinking about making a change. Unfortunately, I think it has to hurt financially before they will be motivated. Right. Right. Well, and I think that's where the demand change is going to is going to happen. It's been shown time and time again that people are willing to pay a little bit extra to have something that is more environmentally friendly than the not. So people want to do the right thing. Right. Marie, thank so. you so much for joining us today. It's been uh, I oh, think it was a pleasure. I think your report is very important. I'm going to post a link to your report so all of our listeners can download it and read it. 
you revealed thank a you. lot of important information about how the whole industry operates. And I just wanted to thank you personally for opening people's eyes. Absolutely. I'd like to thank Marie Chiapo for joining us today. You can access her report, Plastic Pots and the Green Industry, by going to the website of the Association for Professional Landscape Designers. See the link in our show notes. You can also find out more about Marie and her native garden design company at ecoplantplans.com. Join Americans everywhere in the one-third for the birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook. And that's it for today's episode, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Have a great week and enjoy the birds. Bye for now. Bye for now.